Welcome to Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast. I'm your host, Luke Darnell. We're kicking off National Barbecue Month with none other than Mark Lambert with Sweet Swine of Mine. Mark has done just about everything in barbecue, winning world championships, creating amazing products, and now he has his own barbecue store. This is a great look at one of the best pitmasters in the country with a lot of great information and tips. Enjoy this podcast with Mark Lambert. This episode is brought to you by the Barbecue League. The Barbecue League is the ultimate barbecue experience. Here's why. One small annual investment from you instantly unlocks all 70-plus tell-all recipes, enthusiast recipes, restaurateurs, and more in their unmatched library. This isn't your typical YouTube-type content. World champions like Getting Basted, Shake and Bake Barbecue, Heavy Smoke Barbecue, La Pasadita Barbecue, and 913 Barbecue share their full tell-all recipes. No secret is left unsaid. And a new video release is guaranteed every single week of your membership. You will also see unfiltered looks from all levels of pitmasters during their live competition coverage. And those same pitmasters are accessible through the league's upbeat online community. As soon as you sign up, you'll also have a full arsenal of some of the best discounts in barbecue from brands like Snake River Farms, Blues Hog, Big Papa Smokers, Gunter Wilhelm, and Gateway Drum Smokers, and more. The Barbecue League puts on members-only contests throughout the year, hosts live and virtual events, and offers a full-access league lounge at participating events. Listeners to the OVS Pitmaster podcast can receive $10 off of the annual $100 annual membership this month only by using code, all caps, MAYPITMASTER, all one word, M-A-Y-P-I-T-M-A-S-T-E-R, on the bbqleague.com so sign up today and up your barbecue game we're here today with mark lambert from sweet swine of mine how you doing buddy man having a great morning it's beautiful and crisp and cool spring morning here and it's it's a great day it's always a great day when you can talk about barbecue buddy Heck I, yeah uh, <laughs> you've been a pretty busy boy during covid you guys got a bunch of stuff going on. Yeah, COVID is, was is, was good to the barbecue business in general. Our business is up about almost 70% from in 2020 from 2019. So we were real busy. Um, you know, we didn't go out, didn't get a chance to get out and cook much. Uh, we did, man, we did one KCBS, I think, and it was a local one. Uh, just so many of them canceled. And we got to do, had a chance to do San Antonio for the first time in January and then Houston again before everything shut down last year and uh, lucky enough to to follow up our win in Houston in 19 with a reserve in 2020. It's always good to follow up success one place with it the next year kind of yep <laughs> just gives you some personal validation. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> well, let's jump into some of the some of these questions I have for you. Uh, I think the first time I met you was at uh, World Food Championships down in Orange Beach. I think so. And one of the things that's always struck me about you is that you have a you have a really good confidence about you when you're at a contest. Where does that confidence come from? Man, I think just experience and not necessarily having a, a set recipe or timeline that I feel like I have to follow. And anyone that knows me knows that I'm, you know, I'm have a little ADHD and I'll chase a squirrel around a time or two, but at the end of the day, I can still, I can still finish, 
the cook and get stuff turned in on time and, and do well. So I would say more or less just from cooking experience and, and you know, kind of knowing what uh, knowing what needs to be done and knowing that it, it, when adversity pops up and things happen that we know how to adjust and overcome. So you're definitely more of a field cook instead of a process yeah. cook. Yeah, I'm more of a field cook. Now I have a timeline that I feel like I need to follow. But if I get it on 30, you know, if I put on my meats 30 minutes early or 30 minutes after, I can adjust. That, I, I know that I can adjust to make it, make the difference that I need. And I always give myself a little bit of buffer. You know, of course, you've got rest time. and But it, I generally just am a field guy. I've got to – if I if, don't have to hit all of my numbers to be able to make it work. That's great. That's great. It's, it's something I think that, that you can only learn – from cooking so many contests and putting yourself in those adverse situations so that you know how to, how to handle them. A lot of yep. times on, on these podcasts, uh, people like to focus on successes. I like to focus on some failures that people have learned from. Do you have any favorite failures of yours? Whew. I got a <laughs> bunch. You know, we've been cooking for a long time before, uh, you know, a lot of different, inje- we always injected, you know, big meats, but, that whole process has evolved, you know, uh, and what you inject with and how you inject and how long before. And because, you know, when, when phosphates came into play in injection, one of my f- most memorable failures, I would say at a, at a big money contest actually. And, you know, not understanding how phosphates work and what they do. Well, uh, my process did not involve a, a wrap or heavy wrap, just more of a tent, if you will, after you get good color on your pork. Yeah. And and not knowing that if you don't wrap, it takes forever to get it done. If if it, it you know it extends your stall, if so yeah. to speak. And and not understanding how or why all that works and not changing my process. Well I injected with a phosphate like the and just did it at a contest thinking, oh it's just you know just injection. What's it going what's it going to hurt? If it's not as good, or I won't do it next time, but no. So I injected uh, my pork shoulders at a, a really substantial contest and just could not get them done. I went to bed with, with my shoulders in about 153, and I think I woke up with them six hours later at 163. Oh, my. <laughs> and so it was, it was like, uh, uh-oh, and then – you know, I think we, we power cooked them up at 350 until we got, I think, the hottest one somewhere around 174. And that's, uh, it was in the picnic. And we wound up with fourth place. So that's one of those things. And knowing that you screwed up and working as hard as you can to get there to where you just sort of save face a little bit. Yeah. And we actually pulled off a fourth place, not just because of our, our prowess and how badass we are, but <laughs> because a little bit of experience and knowing that when we, our first two judges came to visit us, that the first two judges were brand new. So it was like, look at this over here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a little sleight of hand and, and leading those guys that didn't know any better and understand everything to look for. Uh, and then we had, you know, one judge that was more of a luck than anything. He was an experienced judge, but we had one shoulder that was the hottest. Uh, and we were able to serve him good meat off of the butt end of it. And, but the th- funny thing is, is you normally pull bones for judges and we didn't pull the first bone and we, we got fourth place and all of our judges come back and gave us their top scores. And we we're just like, wow. I mean, no matter what happens, you can, you can still, you, you got to go for it. You never know what's going to happen. 
But that's one of the best things I think about the the Memphis Barbecue Network and the differences between that and KCBS. Uh, I'm primarily a Kansas City cook, but I have done a couple of uh, Memphis-style categories at some contests, and I really love that on-site judging aspect. I think it gives yeah. you, a, like you just detailed, it gives you a lot of opportunity to to do some things and do some gamesmanship if you need to. Yeah, and, you know, you still have to turn a box in, and that's that's a bigger part of your score. But, you know, we are able to go through a couple of shoulders in the back and, and, and put together a decent enough box that it worked out. Um, you know, we've, we've had some, some adversity in KCBS, too. I haven't done it as long as NBN or Memphis and May. But, um, you know, we've, we've had a few, you know, adversities through KCBS and, you know, having, having meets not get done or, or, you know, thinking you're on top of your game and, you, you know, you wind up with overcooked meat or something. I had one of my coolest stories was uh, I had a guy that is a local cook and he had a, a barbecue place and uh it, it's probably not legal or or fair or le- i don't know the best way to put it but <laughs> i probably broke the rules a little bit but this guy was all he had really good barbecue and he always kind of poor mouthed his barbecue and what i mean by that he's like oh you know i'm just a i'm just a, just a you know old backyard pit cook and i mean i just cook this barbecue and i think it's good but i ain't gonna compete against you big guys and this and that and the other and and I told him, I said, man, I said, your, your, your barbecue is as good as anybody's. You just don't know how to take it to the box. You don't know how to get it yeah. from the whole cut of meat into the box and make it look good and do it quickly so it stays hot. I said, you, you know, it's just details. I said, you're as good a cook as anybody out here. I said, you do it more than anybody. Oh, I can't compete against you guys. And he come by there a little bit later, like real late, and he was poor mouth. And again, I said, I'll tell you what, Hot Rod. I said, <laughs> I'll, I'll go to bat with your pork any day of the week. I said, you know, you can't pour mouth. I know how it is. Oh, you just say that. I said, tell you what, in the morning, in the morning, when you, when your, your pork's done, I see you come out here and see me. I said, I'll trade you fair and square. He said, huh? <laughs> he goes, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll trade you. I said, when yours is done. You come by here. I'll give you mine. You give me yours. I said, and, I, and I'll show you what you, what you can do. I said, it's just details. And he goes, no, you won't do that. I said, try me. I said, I ain't scared. Bring that stuff over. And I said, now, if it got to be cooked, it's got to be cooked right. And I, and, I, and I think if you do your best, I'll do my best. And that joker brought it over, and I swapped him. And he, he had the deer in the headlights look, couldn't believe I was going to do that. And I was like, well, what about, I know the guy's a good cook. What do I got to lose? I can, I can do well with his. We wound up getting reserved. But what was the coolest part is when they were calling out pork, that guy, they called that second place, and that guy had, you know, he had only cooked two or three contests, and he got second place port, and just was hooping and hollering, boy, he was happy. He come over and give me a high five. They called out 180 first place port <laughs> was us, <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me with his jaw on the ground and could not believe it, just, just awestruck. And I said, "Told you," I said, "Good stuff." I said, "I like it. I'm gonna take it home to mama." <laughs> So much of, of success comes from that last 10 minutes. Yeah. Man, that means everything. That last yeah. 15, you know, I'm going to say last 30, 15 to 30 minutes in there, what you do in that little bit, that little stretch means everything. Yeah. There's always, there's always time to make an entry better. That's one thing that I have to tell myself every, every weekend that I cook is, is don't panic. Make sure you're tasting everything, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you, you you can always make it better. Are you tasting it throughout the throughout the whole time? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, I mean, that's why you don't want to eat it when it's all over. You know, I mean, you're, you've had your fill and, you know, you've had it at its best. Uh, and, you know, that's why you don't want to eat it any other time because you've had it, you're, you've had barbecue at its best throughout, when, right when you're turning it in, not sitting in a warmer and not sitting on a plate. And I, I think that tasting it's imperative. I've had a guy a long time ago, I want to say it was Pat Burke actually that told me, he said, the last thing you put on this is the first thing your judge is going to taste. And that tells you how you can adjust, whether it be salty, sweet, smoky, um, spicy. You can adjust all those things right at the end as long as you're prepared to, as long as you, you're aware and you're prepared to make those adjustments. Last thing you put on, first thing you're going to taste. Absolutely. And I don't know the answer to this question, so I'm really intrigued about it. But how, how have your career and life experiences outside of barbecue prepared you to be a pit master on the competition trail? Mm. Um, I mean, life experiences, I would say, you know, growing up cooking with my mom, with my mom in the kitchen and her mm -hmm. teaching me about cooking and my, my granny and my grandmother, they were all really, really good cooks. Life experiences, I'm going to say, you know, I worked my way through college waiting tables. And, you know, when people didn't show up in the back of the house, I got pushed to the back of the house because they knew I would always do it for cash. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I spent a lot of time not only washing dishes, but, you know, making salads and, and being a prep cook and a bartender, a grill cook or a fifth man cook or a fry cook. No matter what, they somebody didn't show up, they knew they could throw me in it and I would do it. And so I wound up hitting all those different spots in my career, you know, eight years in the restaurant business. And I filled a spot just about any place in the restaurant business. And I learned a lot about appearance and plating and preparation and, you know, and service. And, and especially in like Memphis and May or MBN, being able to size up people and figure, figure out how to approach people and how to uh, create rapport quickly and, and trust. So I think, socially, I think the restaurant business did as much for me as, you know, culinary in the culinary side. That's a great point, especially when you're focusing on a Memphis contest, because mm -hmm. there is an art form to that presentation and talking about it. Right. It's, you have to know your story before those judges get in the tent. You got to know your story and you got to know how to deliver it. And delivery is not the same with every judge. That's, I had some guys here doing a, a presentation class on uh, Sunday and or saturday or sunday and that was one of the things they couldn't they, i think it blew them away is the, the fact that we actually size our judges up when they when we greet our judges we actually usually get we, we, we get try to get our greeter get a little information about them how long they've been judging <laughs> and you know if they've been if they're 10 or 20 years or if they this is their first one or they only been through a couple how long they've been judged you know and then know how to tailor that how to tailor the greeting and the, the process to to them so that they feel comfortable. Uh, Cause if I'm throwing, if I'm getting real technical to a guy that's been a judge for 20 years, he probably doesn't want that. He's heard all that crap before. What he wants is to taste some really, really good, blow them away with some great barbecue uh, and be comfortable and have a good time. Whereas, you know, the new guy that just got certified, you know, he, he's interested in learning all those times and temperatures and, and, and learning about stalls and bark and glazes and stuff like that. He, he may want some technical input, but the other guy, maybe not so much. So about making those guys comfortable, just like they're walking into your house, knowing a little bit about something about your guest. Right. So do you have somebody stationed out there when they walk out? Absolutely. Yeah, we did the same thing at the on-site judging in D.C. You know, we yep. could see see them coming up the line 
And, you know, I would be staged in the trailer and the two girls out front would, they'd check it out and they're like, okay, you've got, you know, you got two women coming, you got an older gentleman who doesn't say much. And, uh, the one year we had uh, meathead was one of our onside judges. Okay. And I looked, I looked down the line and I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, this is, is going to be tough. <laughs> whole different approach. The girls were like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I can't say 90% of the shit that I was going to say because <laughs> he probably yep. knows it's bullshit. So, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I had to come at it from a whole different perspective, but uh, we yep. ended up, we ended up finishing uh, winning pork that day. And yeah, because I was like, listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you a bunch of lies about how I had this pig hog raised to you know, all these specifications that I'm going to give you yep. the straight business. So that's cool. Well, let's switch gears here a little bit and get into some, some equipment questions. Cause I know that you, uh, you have a nice little business down there and you're selling a lot of cool things. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've ever made in competition barbecue? Mm, I think just, uh, uh, I'm going to say probably when we first started cooking a backwood smoker. So, we cooked on an old uh, Boot Hill of Missouri Morrow rotisserie for years uh, that, you know, I learned from my buddy and he learned from his dad. And so that was what we started cooking on. And we had, we did okay, but mm-hmm. we saw, we saw that the guys that were really kicking ass in Memphis and May were cooking on a backwoods. In general, that was the the common denominator. And in talking to all the guys that that was what they recommended. And so we, when we bought our first backwoods, you know, our first contest out, we were immediately second place in ribs. And then our second contest out, we were first place in shoulder and grand champion. It was our first first grand champion win. It was just one of those things, knowing that we had a good flavor profile, but we needed a more consistent, um, better cooker to to help us deliver the product. And so I would say Backwood Smoker was probably that same thing that also got me into the the business of barbecue because at the time you're young and not making a lot of money right out of college and competition barbecues we all know is real expensive. So mm-hmm. I didn't really have the funds to do it and I wanted to do it. So I, we, a few of us decided we wanted to buy them for our house as well. Contacted the manufacturer. I would say I was blessed with the fact that, that the, the local dealer had moved out of town and they didn't have a local dealer anymore. And uh, I pretty much sold them on the fact that I could sell smokers for him. And I did. So uh, I became his dealer in this area and I started selling smokers to support my barbecue habit. And that snowballed eventually into a barbecue business. That's fantastic. And are you still on the backwoods or now are you primarily on the old hickories? Man, I'm, I'm a little of everything. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I cook my ribs typically on, uh, on my red box, which is a, a backwoods clone really. It, it was the original backwoods. Actually the first smoker that backwoods ever made was the, the red box. And I, I bought the rights from them to produce that overseas. That's right. And, and so I cook my ribs typically on a red box. I, I still feel to me, I make my best pork or ribs on a reverse flow water cooker, like a backwoods. So I still use that. I, I got a jambo that I, I carry around to KCBS. Uh, we still cook on, you know, big backwoods at Memphis and May, but if I'm going to go cook an MBN, I'm going to cook on a, Typically, I won't cook all the categories these days. So, I'll, if I'm cooking ribs, I'll cook on a um, like a backwards G2 chubby or mm-hmm. something along those lines. So, it's still in the repertoire. Uh, I use old hickory when I have to, you know, cook a little more volume, uh, and that's what it's made for, and that's what it's best at. So, when I'm cooking a little bit more volume, 
I, I love to have chicken and uh, and brisket a little bit more on a drier heat cooker. So mm-hmm. I, I would much rather cook chicken, uh, competition chicken. That doesn't matter. I, I still cook with water, but I find my best chicken and brisket comes off a drier cooker. So it might be an old hickory or a jambo. Right on, right on. It's it's funny. I've owned all those cookers myself too. <laughs> it mm-hmm. just it just becomes a kind of a sickness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> I'm afflicted. <laughs> right, right. What were some of the best decisions that you made when you first started competing in terms of gear and stuff like that? And I think this is an important question for people who are getting started. Kind of like when you what you do with the meat after you're done with it in a restaurant. You know, I think one of the most important things in a restaurant is holding, being able to hold your meat. So holding cabinets in restaurants, I think when you're in a competition, being able to hold your meat efficiently and, you know, good cambro. I mean, not so that you give yourself a little bit of buffer zone and give your mm-hmm. meat time to rest safe and keep it hot. So I'm going to say, you know, we started using cambros instead of, we used to power cook at the last minute and that was our MO. We were always behind. We got up and we always caught up and we did well, but we, you know, there were times that, you know, that, that bit us in the ass. So, Cambro was a big thing. And, and again, I'd say backwoods is the same thing. It was our investment that got us over the hump that made us realize what we were doing could work. We just had to have a, had to have good equipment. And then once we, you know, started getting away from that power, power cooking the last three hours, Cambro's became a bigger part of it. And, but outside of that, uh, man, in the way of investments. Yeah. I think smoker is the most important. Yeah, you know. I think so finding something that you're comfortable with and getting to know it, you know, that is so important just to be able, like I was telling somebody last night, I'm like, you have to have a relationship with your cooker. It's not just, (laughs) I mean, you have to know that thing inside and out, know how it's going to react, you know, know how you're going to react when it does something. So. Yeah. Cause you don't cook in a bubble. Things are different every time you don't cook. You don't put the same thing in the cooker every time it's meat's different. Every time you cook conditions are different. So you got to be prepared to, to, to know your cooker and make adjustments. Yeah. So those are all expensive things. Do you yes. have a, do you have a purchase of a hundred dollars or less as of something that really, I mean, really helps you improve your game and, and, you know, something like that, that that's something that somebody could go buy today and be like, wow, that's pretty cool. This is really helpful. Well, I mean, for somebody new, maybe let me grab, I'll show you for somebody that's new. Maybe they don't know I mean, all the old guys pretty well know this but um what a lot of i see a lot of new guys got these big you know i'll put you this way let me give you a comparison (laughs) while (laughs) while these are great for handling really hot stuff around the firebox right those are big rubber rubber gloves heat gloves yeah this is magna chef and they're cool they get a little magnet on it so you can take them on put them on they hold together these are great and it's just an example of a big, heavy, bulky glove that doesn't give you any dexterity in your fingers. Yeah. It's great for that. But a lot of folks try to pull their meat with this. And man, it's okay if you're just doing it for your family because you're just kind of pulling meat. Uh, not a big deal. But if you've got to pull the perfect meat, then you got to have these. And what a lot of people don't understand is how you handle the hot meat. And they look like, you know, it looks like you're handling all that meat with just some nitro gloves on, but a little layer of a cotton knit glove and then uh, nitro gloves over the top of that so that you've got some real dexterity and you can feel and touch and move and adjust. 
and not have all of this bulky. I feel like you got boxing gloves on trying to build a box, you know? Right. That's yeah. Those things. It, it's one of those things. I think that it's funny. You brought that up because it made me feel like I've taken those gloves for granted because I've used them mm -hmm. the whole time. And, uh, I I've seen people watch me just grab meat off the cooker and they're like, how did you even do that? And I'm like, well, I got protection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I can, yeah, but I can still, I can still feel it, you know, and that's so much of competition barbecue is feel and, yep. and uh, using all of your senses to make sure that that meat is done and tastes good. Um, one other thing that I, that a lot of people may not use, but to me is essential in my barbecue is the use of food service film and not just foil. So okay. uh, if you, you know, people in the restaurant business understand cost of goods and, and food cost and uh, fixed costs and variable cost and how expensive foil is. And while foil is effective, I find many, uh, many, many ways to use food service film in addition to foil that makes, it keeps things cleaner and really helps my, my game a lot when it comes to pork. Uh, so it, I, I, I like to wrap my money muscles actually with food service film whenever uh, I separate them and put them back on the pit. And mm -hmm. it really, it really has made a difference in my money muscle game using food service film to help contain everything. You know, once you, you take a hot money muscle and wrap it in this stuff and then insert a probe and then wrap some foil around it to shroud it. When you take it out of the pit, it's blown up. It's got a lot of pressure. And then when you, it goes to rest, all that pressure goes back down. And, you know, my theory is that you, you're putting some flavor back into it whenever that pressure goes back down. You're cooking out, you're taking moisture out of the meat. And then once it rests, you know, you're going to, it's going to come back down and you wind up with a lot less liquid that you can see in it um, mm -hmm. after it's rested. So film to me is a big deal uh, on my money muscle game anyway. That's a great, great tip. And something I've never tried that I, I love it when I learn things on my own podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, we're going to switch gears now and get into some people. Who who has impacted your life the most in competition barbecue? Man, I'm a, you know, like the my buddy that that got me into that got me into it, his name was Jody Bryant. Uh he was our head cook when we first started uh working at the phone company and his daddy taught him about barbecue and they're from the Boot Hill, Missouri, where barbecue was big. I'm from southeast Oklahoma, where it's not so big. And moving here, I knew nothing about it. And when I met Jody uh, working together, I, you know, we started this doing hospitality at Memphis and May with the phone company and learning from him for what he had learned from his his dad. And, mm -hmm. you know, we used his cooker and learned his methods. And I would say he's the guy that kind of got me most interested in barbecue from the very beginning. You know, we were great friends and I learned a lot. Uh, of the base knowledge from him. And then, you know, after that, learned a lot of details from experience. And of course, information was more readily available down the road later on after that. But I'd say my buddy, Jody Bryant, probably was my, he, he's the guy that got me into barbecue. And when we started competing uh, outside of Memphis in May, uh, Pat Burke, I would say, was the guy that helped me understand scoring and make sense mm -hmm. of scorecards uh, and scores you get back after a contest. And what we're doing wrong and what we need to adjust and and you know just as a just as a mentor somebody like that helping me along was a was 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 huge is are those two people still people who you would contact now if you're having trouble with the meat oh i could contact pat to this day oh yeah jody passed away 
but I could, you know, I could call Pat in a minute, get <laughs> feedback from him. We talk every once in a while, not as often as I used to, but yeah, I still feel comfortable calling Mr. Pat and, and asking, man, I need some help. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have people like that in this in this industry i i was doing panic texts on sunday morning about brisket this past weekend and i'm like look i need i've had a call in five contests we need to figure some stuff out and got a couple <laughs> couple tips and won our table and finished sixth in brisket so there's a ton of pumps out there now that, to the competition barbecue family that i feel like i could call and ask questions to so many different people now so depending on what category or, you know, what type of competition, you know, whether it be KCBS, steak, MBN, you know, unsanctioned, or even we, we do a lot of, uh, you know, we cook these little small mini pot contests and cook all different kinds of stuff. So depending on what it is, there's always somebody out there that's a master in, in that category. And it's good to know there's a lot of those masters. <laughs> Absolutely. So we've established that you're not a big process guy, but strikes me that you probably have some habits and rituals and routines that you've established your for yourself around some competitions. You got any of those that are really interesting? Man, I don't say I really have any routines as it comes to anything really, or I'm going to say rituals outside of Memphis and May. You know, we've been really blessed to win our category four times there and an overall grand champion twice. And then, you know, we've had, you know, a couple of seconds and thirds and numerous top tens. So, Anytime you do well there, you want to try to repeat what you're doing and keep things consistent. But, you know, a lot of it's just to keep things light and lively and have fun with it. And one of the things that we did the first time we ever won shoulders at Memphis in May in 2005, you know, we requested our same spot that next year. Well, we didn't get it. So we were all, free. oh, man, we got to, I can't believe we're not going to have our same spot. So <laughs> to get, get everybody over the hump and, and laughing about that kind of superstition, I went over to our old spot when we loaded in and uh, the guys were back in their trailer into that spot. I had a shovel in my hand. I dug a patch of grass and sod out of the middle of their site. They looked at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Like what in the hell is this guy doing? And I took that piece of dirt, went over there and dug a divot out and patted it down right under the cooker and said, there, now we're in our same spot. <laughs> they, they all looked at me like, you're crazy. And I went, yeah, I know. <laughs> and guess what? We won shoulders again. <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do, you know. So <laughs> keep on doing it. So we now it's just a joke. There's Lambert going to get his dirt again, you know. It's, it's just one of those things you got to go do now because everybody just laughs about it. But uh, that's really the only superstition, funny thing that we've done. Uh, you know, we, we have a celebratory. You know, we put meat on the grill. Uh, you know, when our team's around, there's like 11 of us. So once we get meat on the grill at Memphis and May, we, uh, we get a – you know, Darren's got this thing they always had called a clone sickle where they freeze a bottle of a gentleman jack, you know? Yeah. And they, they pass it around. Well, we, we created our sponsor is George Dickel. And so we froze a bottle of Dickel. We have a Dickel sickle. And <laughs> we, we, we pass it around and have a, a celebratory good luck shot after meat gets on the grill. So those are really about the only two things I can think of off the top of my head. I've got cool. a song that I like to listen to in the morning. My, my mentor, Pat Burke, had a song that he played every morning first thing in the morning while he was sweeping up uh cleaning up and he played oh what a beautiful morning i've got a song that my buddy brian lips introduced me to one year i was cooking with him and hammond and it's called the attitude dance uh uh, big big bad voodoo daddy or something like that i think is yeah and they got a song called the attitude dance and it's just a get your head right song get you make it feel good and 
that's my morning song. That's great. I'm going to have to look that thing up. Is your competition week, is it the same every week that you're competing? Do you try and do the same things at the same time? Yeah, typically. I'm glad you said that. I didn't think about that. But yeah, I, I typically will uh, trim pork butts like on, and, and briskets on Wednesday and get them back in a bag and get them in their place. And then I will uh, trim my chicken on Thursday mm-hmm. and, and, and get it back in a vacuum seal bag. Um, you know, I always get all of that stuff done, make my injections. Uh, I usually make the injections on Thursday after I trim my chicken and get in. I'll make injections and sauces and get all that ready. And then, you know, just final preparations um, Friday. I'll make a list and make a box. And then, of course, when you're laying in bed on Thursday night, <laughs> you always have a couple of things that pop in. Oh, man, I forgot to get that. So I pull my phone out and send myself a text. And Friday morning, I'll drop those last couple of things in there. That seems like how it always happens. Um, yep. But outside of that, no, that's about it. Just, just that's how I usually do my, my trimming to make sure that everything's right and I have time to go and and uh, and get something else, pick something else up if I need it. That's super important. I got to cook next to a first time cook this weekend, and yeah, you know, she she was trimming meat on Friday and trimming meat on Saturday uh, and. I kind of went over there and I was like, look, you, you need to get this done before you get here. So you can focus on, on the important yeah. stuff and know that you've got what you need. Yeah. I think that's yeah, so people important. Think that, a lot of guys that don't know, I mean, they think you got to make your seasonings and sauces and trim your meat on site. I'm like, no, <laughs> but, but you can't, you can't. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, look, here's the deal. You can take anything away from this meat you want to, you just can't add anything to it. They're like, right. Oh, <laughs> yeah and if you show up with four pork butts and two of them are terrible and then you're stuck trying to go to a store and do all kinds of stuff that you really you're don't cooking have meat you're not used to or you don't know you know how it tastes or if it cooks different or if it's bigger or smaller or you know if the only thing was available is a costco and guess what there's a boneless uh, you know <laughs> my whole thing and because, like I said, I'm ADHD. There's a lot of squirrels that, that run around, and I, that I ch- it's easy for me to chase them. Yeah. If I show up on Friday at a contest and I've got everything lined out, I didn't forget anything, and everything's trimmed and ready, and all I got to do is get up and build a fire and cook. Guess what? My cook goes so much better, and I have so much more fun because I'm not scrambling. Right. That's the worst part of scrambling and looking for ingredients and stuff like that. It's but damn it, it seems like when I'm scrambling, I score better. <laughs> I don't get it. I feel like you're one of those guys that when the pressure is up, that's whenever you, the f- f- switch flips for you. <laughs> if my hair is on fire on Saturday morning, I'll score well. But if, 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 if I'm kicked back drinking coffee and everything's perfect and the temps and everything are in line and my time, I'll hit my, my numbers. Yeah, just seem to not, not do as well. <laughs> I don't get it. It feels better, but it just doesn't work out. <laughs> That's funny. What's the most surprising thing to come out of competition barbecue for you? Surprising thing? Well, I, I guess really it's my profession now. It's what I do for a living. I'd say that's probably the most surprising thing to happen to me. It wasn't a plan. You know, I started you know, selling barbecue equipment to support my habit, my, my hobby. Now my hobby is my living, and I feel like that's a, a blessing to get to do what I love to do for a living. And, and not only that, but you get to write my hobby off. So uh, there you go. <laughs> that shouldn't be illegal, but it is. <laughs> I, I've recently made that switch myself and uh, just getting started in the business side of it. And 
it's one of those things I was really worried about it becoming a job and not loving it as much. Yeah. And, and that was a concern, but it, it, it hadn't happened. Nope. Hasn't happened to me yet. And I started a catering company during COVID. So <laughs> no, man, you, you, you made a lot of hurdles. You already jumped over. <laughs> if I can make it through that Mark, I can make it through pretty much anything. I think. Got that right. <laughs> what do you think's missing from competition barbecue these days? It's definitely changed a lot over the past, uh, say, past 10 years. Uh, from a KCBS perspective, I really don't know. I mean, I mean, I feel like they, you know, their, their process, their, their, what they do. The only thing I would rather see happen on KCBS, what would be missing is, you know, there's always, you know, if there's a perception that somebody could, you know, manipulate things, then there's always going to be doubt in people's minds. And while there's not really in mine, I know that it has happened on when Memphis and May used to sanction things. There was a lot, some impropriety going on because I saw it firsthand and was told about it firsthand by the people that did it. They didn't know that I competed. So, um, I, while I don't know how much it happens or if it even does, but the perception that it could manipulation of numbers is possible. I would like to see it go to kind of like you see SCA or IBCA where you get a ticket. And no one, not even the organizer, knows whose entry is whose. Mm -hmm. And you call out ticket numbers instead of names. That's the only thing to me in KCBS I would like to see changed. Everything else I'm pretty fine, I'm pretty good with. I mean, I think it's a pretty good system outside of, you know, I know they put a number on it when they get it, but they still know how to correlate that number back to a team. Whether right. it matters or not or whether any of that kind of business goes on, I don't know. I'm not saying it does, but the perception that it could uh, leaves doubt in some people's minds. And I would rather that not be there. No one have any excuses and really just to call out ticket numbers personally uh, in right. all of it. I'd like to see ticket numbers in all of it. Memphis in May, MBN, you know, just like the rest of it. I think the ticket number is the best way to squash any people's perception that there's impropriety. That's a good point. I think there's a lot of different ways they could potentially address that, whether it's through QR codes that are mm -hmm. specific to each team or, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways to think about it. And I think they're actually looking at some of that stuff. So good, I think that's good. a good thing. Last question before we hit the rapid fire ones. And I'm going to, I'm going to rewind you a little bit uh, back to the 2016 barbecue awards at the world food championships. And this question is around psychological warfare and psyching out your competition. Okay. You guys finished in the top 10 in barbecue that day to go on to the finals. And there was this display on the stage with wrestling masks and all kinds <laughs> of hooting and hollering. And, and I think you even got injured, if I'm correct. I did. <laughs> and I remember because because we didn't expect to get in the top 10 and we got in the top 10 and then that you guys got, I forget where you finished. And I'm just sitting there looking at the girls going, who are these clowns? These guys, <laughs> man, they are, they are something. So how important is that psychological warfare to you at a competition? Not at all. We were all <laughs> jacked up on Mountain Dew, so to speak. And <laughs> we were just high on life and having fun and, that whole thing came, the masks and the, all that stuff came from, um, we go to Mexico every year and cook with the Mexican national grilling team and their, their grilling competition. And 
they come to Memphis and Bay and, and cook and hang out, and we go down there and teach classes. So the, the, all those those Mexican guys are really good friends of ours, and we respect them and, and love those guys. And they when they came to Memphis one year, they had these luchador masks, and they wore those masks to the awards, you know, and it was like, you know, we're here. The Mexicans are here. They're proud. Sometimes there's a stigma over Mexicans, but man, our Mexican friends are, they're excited. They're confident. They're proud. They're happy of their heritage. And they wear these luchador masks to, to everybody knows who they are and they're there to play. And they have a ball with it. We, we had those masks. Hey, right, let's, let's, let's wear these, let's wear these contests. That's it. You know, the Mexicans will love it. And man, we was like, so we just put that, that that whole persona on and just it, it was it was more about just fun to do something different instead of things being so you know so serious it was more of a tension breaker for us and then when i was running across the street i tore my plantar fascia in my foot just like an idiot running and jumping and like i was 20 again and hobbled around you know for a, over a year after that fighting that and it's still to this day sometimes it flares up and causes problems so yeah i'm, I'm reminded good lord reminds me every once in a while yeah see you idiot that's what you get for showing out <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun time though i just remember going oh my this is this just got real <laughs> oh i had a bunch there's a bunch of people that that got mad at me for doing that and i was like come on man we were just we were just we were just you know tension breaker we were just having fun I said, and if you knew our Mexican friends, you know where all this this stuff came from. We can't make this crap up. (laughs) Well, Mark, I want to thank you for being on here today. Now let's get into the rapid fire questions. These are, I think these are fun and they give people a little bit of flavor about some of the barbecue people that we have on here. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? Man, on social media, well, and I've dropped a lot of these, those, barbecue forums or barbecue groups i've dropped out a lot of them just because you get people that post up stuff on there and they want feedback and you give it to them and then they get butt hurt yeah so these little groups are tend to they uh, you know they're like who are you to tell me that you know come on i'm like don't put that crap up there it looks terrible you know people think <laughs> their stuff looks good and and then you you tell them it's bad and then they get butt hurt i mean that's what i hate about social media is one is that you can't say you can't be frank with people that you don't know and they get butt hurt. I like social media. I get to see and you know what you're doing and what people are doing in the Midwest, and I get to see what people in the South all over. I get to see their accomplishments and what they're where they're cooking. I just get to be a part of what everybody does on a regular basis. I love that, but just the negative and, and people think that if you're you know you're critiquing them that you're you're you know you're mad at them. People that ask yeah. for opinions, people that ask for opinions on social media and get them and are mad about it. That's what I <laughs> I tell people all the time anymore, like that people come over and bring food and they're like, will you taste this? And I was like, only if you're willing to accept what I say, like, yeah, because I'm because I'm going to be ruthless. I'm going to be mm-hmm. completely honest with you, because number one, that's the only way you're going to get better. And number mm-hmm. two. I think we were conditioned to lie about food and tell Absolutely. people that things are good. And it was one of those things. It was the hardest thing for me when, cause we just came out with a sauce and I said yeah. it to a bunch of people and I'm like, look, I need, I don't need you to tell me that it's good. If you don't think it's good, you got to be honest with me and, and shoot. I'm not going to invest a bunch of money in this. I need to know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if this is shitty, I got to know. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a favorite, Pre, during, or post-competition meal? 
pre-meal, I mean, I'm a breakfast guy. I love breakfast. I'm talking about good old-fashioned sausage and biscuits and eggs, and gravy and hash browns. And, I mean, a good breakfast sandwich. So I'm going to say pre-competition meal, if I'm going to a contest, I like to stop and get breakfast somewhere along the way. A good breakfast. And actually, it could be a is nothing more than a good sausage biscuit, uh, but breakfast, I would say, is essential for me because I don't eat a lot when I'm at a contest. And then afterwards, man, pizza, <laughs> Mexican food, pizza, big old salad, something like that. But that's that's generally about the extent anything, of it. Anything but barbecue. <laughs> and I'm usually what? hungry because I don't yeah. – anything but anything off the grill. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite present that you like to give to people? I like to give uh, like cured and smoked meats. Uh, oh, yeah, like if I make if I make a batch of bacon or pastrami, or you know, I'll, I'll cut it up in some one pound packs and vacuum seal it. And you know, I have buddies that come by, you know, if or or for a present, I, I'll give that. Or I like to make fermented black garlic. I'll, I'll people when I see people, I'll carry them and bring bring them some black garlic or some compound butter I've made from it. Stuff like that. Stuff yeah. little you know diff, different kind of things. Like when I go to Mexico, I get a bunch of different types of seasonings and peppers and salts and herbs and stuff that aren't. You, it's hard to get around here and so when i get something unique i just like to give something extra something that i like that was interesting enough for me to buy it for myself and i like to buy a few extras for for presents for gift opportunities yeah. but different stuff that people aren't used to seeing and getting every day very cool very cool if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it getting a message out to millions what would it say and why well I'm not one to beat my chest. It wouldn't be about me. I would say, if nothing else, I would say it would probably, I am blessed beyond measure and what I've able to accomplish and get through in life and not being a, you know, not growing up in the barbecue business and being able to do what I do for a living for fun as well. Uh, I, I would say, I'm, I don't know, as far as exactly what to say, the words are hard, but I would say I'm blessed beyond measure and, 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 don't deserve how good I've got it. So I would say, you know, I don't, I feel like while I'm somewhat religious man, I'm not the most. And uh, one of those guys that's not in church every day when it, when the door opens up, you know, I feel like that a lot of my, my blessings are here because the good Lord gives them to me. And I would say that you're blessed and uh, that uh, Jesus loves you. And I feel like I couldn't do the things that I've done in my life and I wouldn't be where I am. I know. Uh, without somebody watching over me because I've been through all kinds of crazy experiences and and uh, jobs and and near-death experiences and there's no way I get through all that without somebody watching over me and I would say Jesus loves you he's watching he, he loves you that's perfect that's perfect well Mark thank you for being on here tell people where they can find you where they can get some access to your products and see what you got going on yeah yeah we're like I said we're we're open, you know, every day, nine to five. And, you know, I'm going to say 60% of our business is people that come in here. We're out of the way. We're 20 minutes out of Memphis. We're the biggest barbecue store anywhere around here. So we carry things that you can't get anywhere else. So people come and see us, um, you know, about, we, we do a good online business. Uh, we'd like it to, we're, we're trying to grow that business uh, outside of the competition world and trying to make getting more people's backyards. Um, so that's, that's our focus these days is, just social media and content and trying to grow our online business. But uh, certainly check us out on at SSOMD.com 
uh, and see what we have to offer. And and uh, we'd, we'd, we'd love to take care of you from, you know, big cookers. We, we sell a lot of smokers and we ship them all over the country. So uh, a lot of times you feel like you have to travel and drive and load it up in your truck and take it home. We, we crate them up and ship them up and put them on pallets and put them on big trucks every day around here. So uh, if there's something you need and we don't, we're liable to have it, but if we don't, <laughs> we can get it for you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Mark, thanks a lot for your time today. And uh, man, can't wait to see you. Hopefully we get down there this summer. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and to share it with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the Old Virginia Smoke YouTube channel as well. Next week, we continue our National Barbecue Month podcast rampage with none other than the genie, Steph Franklin from Simply Marvelous. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedenka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021. Oh, yes.